talking about the fact that our hope is not in ourselves, not in this world, not in others, but our hope is in him. And he is that hope, that anchor of the soul. He wants us to have strong consolation. And I don't know about you, but I go through things in my life. I need strong consolation, don't you? You know, I'll never forget the first time. Do you have the Altoid, the mint, the Altoid here? No, don't have that. Oh, well, there's a mint. And it's not minty. It's strong. In fact, on the box, it says it's curiously strong. And I didn't know about that. Somebody offered me one time, uh, one of them. I popped it in my mouth like a regular mint. And then I was kind of shocked. This thing was so strong. Well, I believe that passage in Hebrews is the Altoid of the Bible. It wants to give you strong consolation. And I need strong consolation, don't you? As you go through things in life, you can depend on him. When I recognize I'm insufficient, it says that in 2 Corinthians 3, 5. We are insufficient, but our sufficiency is in him. Ladies, that's where it has to be. I can't do it on my own. I'm weak. I am desperate for him. I am lost without him. And you know, the sooner I recognize that, that I need him in my life, the better off I am in going through life and in enabling me to have that joy. He is my sufficiency. We ha- I have no strengths, only weaknesses. No strength apart from his strength. But the awesome thing is, as it says in God's word, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? We can face anything. We can go through anything. We can do anything in his strength, not in our own. My own strength is a false sense of security dictated by circumstances. His strength is no matter what circumstances I face, I can trust in him. I love Luke 10, 19 and 20. It says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Praise the Lord. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I can have hope now in this life, but I also can have hope for eternity. Isn't that awesome to know? I love the hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I'm trusting in him now and for eternity. Oswald Chambers said, Don't rejoice in successful service, but rejoice that you are rightly related to him. Keep your relationship right. Then whatever circumstances you are in and whoever you meet day by day, he will be pouring rivers of living water through you. And it is of his mercy that he does not let you know it. It's something that he will be doing in and through you. And you'll look back and say, how did I get through that? By the grace of God. Recently, I've been studying grace. And I've had the best time going through the Old Testament and the New Testament with a little orange pen. And every time I see the word grace, I circle it, I circle it, I circle it. Because we know that by grace we're saved through faith. It's his grace that brings us to himself that saves us. But did you realize that he gives you grace to live the Christian life? It's like a diamond with all its facets. 
the facets of his grace, his grace to forgive, his grace to minister, his grace to reach out, his grace. Even he has grace for our tongues that will say the right thing, that will have the tongue of kindness versus the tongue that slays everybody. That's grace when he enables you to do that. So it's all about his grace. It is of his mercy that he does not let you know it. It is the work that God does through us that counts, not what we do for him. It's what he does through us. If my joy is based on my performance or my circumstances, then I'll tell you what, I'm in trouble. What if my circumstances are the loss of a loved one, a financial crisis, the loss of health, Maybe my problems my children are going through, my family is going through. Um, some of my children have had an eating disorder. My daughter was raped in college. Um, one of my daughters tried to commit suicide. She had a mental disorder. She tried to commit suicide. Peer pressure many times. Children go through things with that. All of these circumstances in life, we can't handle in and of ourselves. I'll never forget after my daughter was killed. My husband had that desire to kill the man that killed her. Um, as a father, he was her protector. And it just so hit him that this man had taken her life. And he was wanting vengeance. He wanted to get back. And a couple of days after she died, he was praying, and the Lord spoke to his heart and said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Your vengeance is impure and imperfect and incomplete. But my vengeance is pure and perfect and complete. And then he led my husband to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew, it kind of gives us a prescription for those enemies that we face in life. And look what it, in the, uh, chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 43 you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Whoa, God, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. It's hard enough to love my neighbor. But you're telling me to love my enemies? That's really tough. Now, the awesome thing about God he never tells us to do something that he doesn't equip us to do it, right? I can't do that in my strength. I need the grace of God. I need God working in me to enable me to do this. But he says, I say to you, love your enemies, number one. Bless those who curse you, number two. Do good to those who hate you, number three, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is a tall task. But this is the prescription to have that joy and peace when we face circumstances that are so difficult. When we face people in our lives who do us in, I'm to love them. I'm to pray for them. I'm to bless them. When my husband read that, he said, I didn't want to do it. But I had learned because in our life together, God had taught us a lot about forgiveness. When we 
in our married life, when we hit our 40s, it seems like everything was in turmoil. Um, we had children that were becoming teenagers. We had newborns. I had my last child at 42. We had my mother-in-law who had dementia. We were pastoring a church. And our marriage was having problems. And I'll tell you what, it's really hard when you're a pastor and pastor's wife and you've got problems. It's tough. But here's the thing. We also had Jesus. That is what makes the difference. And my husband had a lot of anger inside of him as a result of his home life. When he grew up, his father was an alcoholic. He was very abusive to his mother. I had a lot of anger built up in me because of my husband. You know? And I felt I have a right to be angry at him. But God's word says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. It says, be angry and sin not. And I had let a lot of sons go down on my anger. I had stuffed that anger thinking it would go away. And no, it did not go away. It came out in very ugly ways. So I had an anger problem and he had an anger problem. But we had Jesus. This is the awesome part. When things look so impossible. When we were at an impasse. I couldn't love him and he couldn't love me. It was tough. Then God did his work. God began touching my heart and God began touching his heart. We went to see a counselor one time that in, in America you have to have insurance to see doctors. And we had insurance that provided this particular counselor. We went to see this lady. She was a Jewish feminist. <laughs> yes. And uh, we, I told how I felt, and my husband expressed how he felt. And she looked at him, and she said, Sir, you have every right to have the wife you want. And she looked at me, and she said, If I were you, I'd divorce him in a minute. <laughs> my husband said, Ma'am, that's not an option. We're Christians. We don't believe in divorce. She said, Well, there's nothing I can do for you. Now, that's a lot of help, you know. <laughs> but fortunately, I didn't have to depend on her advice because I had the Lord. And you see, when you're a Christian and your husband's a Christian, the Holy Spirit is in there doing his work. I like to think of the Holy Spirit like an earthworm. I know that sounds funny. But if you've ever seen an earthworm work, that earthworm gets in that soil back and forth and up and down, and it aerates the soil so it can receive the nutrients. It can receive the water. If, a, if earthworms aren't in your soil, I dare say your crop's not going to be very good. Because earthworms are good for the soil. I like the Holy Spirit because he's like an earthworm in my heart. Constantly breaking up that hardened ground. Did you realize you can be hardened? We can get hardened, it says, by the deceitfulness of sin. We can have a hardened heart. God wants to break up that fallow ground. And God began doing that in my heart. God began doing that in my husband's heart. He began showing me that my anger toward him for what he had done to me, you know, isn't that the way it is? He treats me bad, I'll treat him bad. Ooh, he won't like it. <laughs> God showed me my anger was just as much sin as anything my husband had done. God showed him his anger toward his dad. He had never let go. And God did a healing in our hearts. God enabled me to forgive him. God enabled him to forgive his father. Because Hebrews tells us that when we don't partake of that grace that God gives us to forgive, 
then a root of bitterness is formed. Well, God sent a root killer in my heart to kill that root of bitterness in my heart and in my husband's heart. And God enabled us to have love for each other. He restored what the canker worm destroyed. He's so faithful. It's never hopeless. Never. When you have Jesus, he can do a work. So we had gone through that. We learned to forgive and not hold on to grudges, not hold on to anger, not hold on to bitterness. Other things in life taught us that lesson over and over again. So here we are now with our daughter and that situation. And God is saying, I want you to pray for this man. I want you to bless this man. I want you to do good to him. And my husband knew because of all the things. You know what? It's so awesome because God doesn't waste anything in our lives. He is the greatest recycler. He uses everything that he's taught us in the past. He uses everything. And he had prepared us for this big, big um, request that he was making, that we bless him, that we pray for him. My husband started every time he would think about killing him, he would pray for him. He got prayed for a lot. <laughs> That's right. Pray, pray, pray. Bless him, bless him, bless him. But you see, as he did that, God began doing a work in his heart. And when we had the trial and he faced that young man, he could say to him, I forgive you because God has forgiven me so much. And that's the truth. God has forgiven us all so much. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from another? But many times it's not me that forgives. It's God in me doing his work, allowing his word to do that work in my heart, enabling me to forgive when it's impossible. God can do it. And so even as we ventured out and started sharing our story, I'll never forget one day we went to a church and there was a man there whose son had been murdered. And this man had never forgiven the person who did it. As a result, he was at the end of himself. He wanted to commit suicide. This burden of unforgiveness had eaten at him. It had eaten him so much that he couldn't even relax and enjoy the family he still had. He just had this bitterness and this anger, anger and it just spewed from his life. It affected his work. It affected his relationships with his family. He was so uh, sorrowful and wounded and, and just wanting to take his own life. When he heard my husband speak, he said, I, I want to talk to him. Because he knew that my husband had been through the same thing. So they got together and my husband started sharing with him what God had shared with him. And this man started listening started putting it into practice. And it was so awesome because God set him free. God set him free from that unforgiveness that was a torment in his life. And he was finally able to forgive the murderer of his son. He was set free. And then he started going on mission trips and started sharing. I mean, it was just awesome to see the work that God did in his life. God wants to do a work in my life in my circumstances, in my struggles, he's faithful. He will be there. Where can my strength from, come from? Look at Psalm 27. Psalm 27. 
You know, there's so much in, in the Psalms about joy and rejoicing. And this is a promise right here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or you could say, what shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. You see, this knowing I can trust in God, knowing I don't have to be afraid. Because listen, God's in control. God has a plan. He promises in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God doesn't say, oh, what were those plans I had for her? I can't remember. I do that. I go in a room. I can't remember why I'm there. What am, what am I getting? I know the plans. And his plans don't change. What he, what he decides, what he plans, he will do. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and I, and I pray this is the desire of all of us in here, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Listen, that's a promise from God. That's God's promise to you. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You know, when you feel joyful... You want to sing, don't you? You want to sing praises to him. And that's an awesome response to the Lord for the joy that he places in our hearts. That's a response to God because I can legitimately not fear. I can trust. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my mother, my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. You know, when we were going through our marriage problems, I remember one day I was crying out to the Lord. And you know what he, he spoke to my heart and said to me? He called me his little orphan. I never thought of myself that way. I never realized, wow, I am an orphan. And he's so close to orphans and widows. And he just reminded me, you're my orphan. I'm your father. I'm going to take care of you. Maybe some of you have had difficult parent relationships. But even if your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will take care of you. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen, risen against me. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. And such as breathe out violence. And I love this. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then an admonition, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You want your heart to be strengthened? You want the joy of the Lord to be your strength? Wait on him. Trust him. He will do it. Now look at Psalm 60. Oh, let's go to Psalm 18 because it's not too far back. Psalms is just chock full of all of these things. Verse 1, and by the way, this was um, David's psalm that he wrote when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and the hand of Saul. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. And you know what? You can say that too. He's your strength. He's your deliverer. He's your rock. He's your fortress. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The pangs of death surrounded me and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple And my cry came before him, even to his ears. Ladies, when you cry, he hears your cry. And he longs to answer. That's an awesome promise from God. The children of Israel cried out to God in Egypt when they were in bondage. He heard their cry. Now, we think the answer should come yesterday. Right? (laughs) If God did everything immediately according to my schedule, I wouldn't trust. I wouldn't have to. It's kind of like on demand now. You see, we're an instant society, aren't we? We like everything instant. That's why we have microwaves. We want it now. But you see, God wants us to wait on him. He wants us to trust him. And he is faithful. I'll tell you what, I appreciate so much more when God does answer. Because I've had to wait. Because I haven't had it automatically. That I appreciate who he is. His wisdom. His understanding. He knows me so well and he knows exactly what I need and when I need it. He longs to be my teacher. Sometimes it says in the book of Isaiah, he'll give you a present. Everybody want a present, right? He says he'll give you the bread of privation and the water of oppression. Oh, I, I, I don't want that. Uh-uh. God, that's some kind of gift. But it's because in doing that, he gets your attention. When I'm only on bread and water, I'm in jail. (laughs) And he gets my attention, and it says he wants to be my teacher. He wants me to know him in a way I've never known him. 
So he will give me those gifts in order to have my attention. You know, when I used to teach school, I wanted the attention of the class. And if my children were acting up, I might send them out in the, you know, outside the door or to the principal's office. And they wouldn't be able to hear the instruction. In Isaiah, it says he will no longer hide himself. The teacher doesn't hide himself. They hide the bad boys. Get them out. Because they want to instruct. Well, he says he will no longer hide himself from you. He'll instruct you. He'll show you. He'll be that voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the left and to the right. I want to know his voice. And you see, when I am going through trouble, I'm forced to be still and know that he's God. And he can speak to me. Then I want you to look over at verses uh, 16. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. Sometimes your greatest enemy can be you. Yourself. So we all have a little bird inside and it has one song. Me, 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 me. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that from a very young age you see the me, me song? Little children, one of the first words they learn, mine, right? You see, it's all about me. When you get a picture, a photograph of a group, who do you look for? <laughs> you look for you. If it's a good picture of you, oh, this is a good picture. <laughs> if it's a bad picture, that's a terrible picture. <laughs> Isn't it interesting, too? We're always looking out for number one. You get a plate of cookies. Where's the biggest cookie? <laughs> That's us. Me. I can be my worst enemy. I can do myself in. Absolutely. But he says, He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but... The Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me. And look why. I love this. Because he delighted in me. Oh, ladies. He delights in you. He delights in you. He loves you so abundantly. So many times the enemy of our soul will lie to us. How could God love you? You know, he tempts you. You go ahead and do it. Everybody's doing it. And then when you do it, the enemy says, I can't believe you did that. Some Christian you are. God doesn't want to hear from you. You did it again. You promised you would never do that again. And you did it. I mean, he gets us going and coming. And God says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a promise from God. I'm not condemned by him. He delights in me. I love that little, the scripture, and we sing a song. His banner over me is love. Isn't that awesome? That's his banner over us. Satan will challenge God's love in your life. But I want to tell you today, he says it. That's why we can believe it, that he loves us. The most basic song I learned as a child, yes, Jesus loves me. How do I know that? The Bible tells me so. And it's so true, ladies. He loves you. He loves you. 
First John 4 also says you must know, but not just know, believe the love that he has for you. I remember one day I was at a retreat and a lady was talking about God loving us. And I was sitting there thinking, he loves all of them, not me. Oh, woe is me. And all of a sudden, this is no joke. She looked right into my eyes. He loves you. And I'm, I almost, it shook me up. Whoa, you know what I'm thinking, don't you? I remember I spoke at a retreat one time. Well, it wasn't a retreat. It was actually just a ladies' night out. And this lady was coming, and she was crying out to God. She said, oh, God, do you love me? Are you with me? I feel like you don't even hear my prayers. Please, God, please, tonight, please let me know that you're with me, that you love me. She got there, and at the end of the service, she came walking down the aisle, and tears were streaming down her face, and she came up to me, and she pointed to a pen that I had on my lapel. She said, do you know where you got that pen? And I said, well, I know a lady gave it to me at a retreat. She said, it was me. She said, when you walked out on that stage, the first thing I saw was that pen. And that was God's telegram to me saying he loved me, saying he knew where I was. I thought, I didn't go to my jewelry box and say, oh, God, give me a pen to speak to somebody. (laughs) I just picked up a pen. I couldn't even tell you right now what pen it was. But you see, God knew. I think God just moved my hand to the right one because he said, I have a message for a lady. It's going to come through this pen. He has the most unique ways of speaking to us, letting us know his love, his love. And then look over at verses 28 through 30, 34. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you, here it is, by his strength, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You also, who? God, also have given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. Isn't it awesome? Our God is such a gentle, loving God. He's so wonderful. He's all-powerful. He literally could smush us like a grasshopper. But he's gentle. He's loving. He's so precious. Then look down at 39. You have armed me with strength for the battle. Ladies, we're in a battle. We're in a battle. But he's armed us. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies. You know, when they would have battles to show that they prevailed, they'd put their foot on the neck of the king. The enemy has been, has surrendered. And that's, he has his foot on the neck of our enemies. 
Verse 43, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their head out, hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed to David and his descendants forevermore. These are all promises from God. Look at Psalm 46. These are just reminders for you to have before you. Psalm 46. I love this one. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I live in California. That verse is very appropriate. (laughs) We're waiting for the big uh, earthquake. (laughs) Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Look at this. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. I'm glad it's, it's feminine, aren't you? She shall not be moved. That's us. She'll not be removed. Even if the earth is sliding under you in your life, you will not be moved. God shall help her. Just at the break of dawn, the nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. Come behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Those are the things that raise up saying they have so much strength and might. And God says, I'm greater. Be still and know that I am God. That be still literally means this. Let your hands drop. Let your hands drop. You see, ladies, we always want to help God when we're going through situations when maybe our children have gone away from the Lord or we're having problems in our marriage or we want to be married. I mean, all these things. We want to help God. We want to get our hands in the pie. Let me help God. I can do it. I remember I've heard of ladies leaving little scriptures around hoping those scriptures will convict their husbands. You know, we try to help God. And he says, be still. Let your hands drop. Don't try to figure out. Don't try to make it happen. Trust me. Trust me. I can do it. Let your hands drop. And know I am God. When Moses was getting ready to go to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel, who do I say has sent me? He said, I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am ever-present God, almighty God, all-powerful God, the God of creation. We bring him down and we make him small and impotent. He's a mighty God. He's an awesome, powerful God. We can trust in him. And he can do it. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, all the hosts of heaven, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He's your refuge. You can trust in him. I love that. One other one I want to look at real quick. Psalm 61, while we're here. There's so many. We could be here all day. I love this one because I get overwhelmed. Do you get overwhelmed? And I love this. When we have a song, we sing, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The rock of faith in God, the rock of trusting in him, the rock of knowing his faithfulness, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his grace. Hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter to me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Psalm 5, 11 and 12 says, The joy of the Lord is your stronghold in time of trouble. That's an awesome promise also. 5, 11, and 12. You know, Nehemiah was in the exile that was taken from Judah to um, Babylon. And he got news that some of the Jews had gone back and they were trying to rebuild the wall. But they were having a hard time because the enemies were rising up against them. They did not want the wall around Jerusalem to be rebuilt. And this was in 444 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar heard from his friends, and and he wept because he realized as long as the wall wasn't rebuilt, the enemies would be able to come over and keep the temple from being rebuilt. And so he cried. One day he was serving the king. He was the cup bearer of the king. And he went before King Ahaxerxes. He had the cup And he was very sorrowful. Now, you're not supposed to come before the king with a sad face. So he was kind of in danger just doing that. The king noticed, and the king asked him what the problem was. And he said, I'm very sad because I've gotten word that my people back in Jerusalem are in distress. They have been attacked by the enemy. They're unable to complete the wall. And the king gave him permission to go back and help rebuild the wall. He gave him permission, he gave him lumber, he gave him uh, letters to the governor there, everything he needed to go back and rebuild the wall. And so he started back. Satan had been attacking the people. He'd been saying this. He mocked them. He told them to give up, that they wouldn't make it. Have you ever heard that voice? Just give up. You're not going to make it. You're going to perish. It's not going to go well for you. That was the voice that they were hearing. You see, when we turn to God, it makes Satan angry. We're in a battle, ladies. We're definitely in a battle. I want you to look at Romans 8, though, because God does have a plan. 
Verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew. Ephesians 1 says you were chosen from the foundation of the world. Whoa. God knew about you way before you were ever existent. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. So whom he foreknew, he also predestined for a purpose. He predestined for you to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Consequently, we can look back at verse 28. God has this plan of conforming us to the image of Jesus. And we look back at 28, it says, we know that some things work together for the good, right? What does it say? All things. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. All things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to the will of God. Those who are called according to his purpose and his purpose is that you be conformed to the image of Christ it's like a potter with clay he takes that lump of clay and he knows what he's making of that clay he works it he works it if you've ever seen a potter it's an amazing thing to see and sometimes he takes big chunks of clay away or cuts some away Sometimes he kind of mashes it and there's little particles in there that he has to remove. Or he uses water and sand to work the clay so that it's pliable in his hands. But he has in mind what he's making of the clay. And you are God's lump of clay. He's making you into the image of Jesus. That's that process of sanctification, conforming you to the image of Christ. This is God's plan. And he will use all the circumstances of life in that process of conforming you to his image. Now, when I know that plan, even though my enemies are surrounding me, even though it's difficult like it was with the people that Nehemiah went to, I can know that I know that I know who's in control. It may appear Satan is. It may appear that all my enemies are coming against me, but God is still in control. God still has a plan. Do you know that Satan had to get permission in order to go and touch Job? And God gave him boundaries. You can only touch these things in his life, first of all, but you can't touch him. And then the second time, you can only touch his body, but you can't kill him. Satan has boundaries. But God's purpose was for Job to know God in a way he had never known him before. He says in the end, I thought I knew you, but now I know you. Listen, he doesn't waste anything in your life. He uses it all for his purposes. The enemies continued to oppose Nehemiah. Look at chapter 2 of Nehemiah real quick. We went a little longer in our little break time because there's so many of us. I'm going a little bit longer here. Look at chapter 2 of Nehemiah. Are you hot? Yeah. It'd be warm in here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, chapter 2, verse 19. 
This is one of the enemies. Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Jesum the Arab heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. You see, he stood up to the enemy as the enemy came against him and attacked him every step of the way. Then next, they came at Nehemiah in chapter 4. They came at him with ridicule. They attacked him. Uh, says, it so happened when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And then one guy said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down their stone wall. Taunting, ridiculing. Look at verse 4. I love this. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. And then look at verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. You see, God in the midst of the turmoil, in the midst of the adversity, God was working. And ladies, in your life at times you will face turmoil. You will face attacks from the enemy. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have to remember who's on the throne. It's God. God is all-powerful. They came at him through discouragement. Look at verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. There's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. And our adversaries say they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews dwelt near them came that they told us ten times from whatever place you turn they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings and I set the people according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked in a rose and said to nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember. And I want to say this to you today. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Yes, we're in a battle. But God has given us weapons to fight the enemy. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Ooh, that feels good. We're getting some air. Ephesians 6 at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in who? In the Lord. Don't be strong in yourself. You won't make it. You know, we think we're strong. We think we can handle it. 
As women, we're supposed to bring home the bacon and cook it too, right? But listen, I'm weak. I need Jesus. I can't do it in and of myself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, because we're in this battle, we're not fighting flesh and blood. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Gird your waist with truth. Where do we get truth? God's word. That's right. Gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We found out this morning, I only have the righteousness of Jesus. And having shod your feet with a press preparation of the gospel of peace. I'll never forget the night I got saved. I was with this really cute boy. And he loved Jesus. And he started talking about the Lord. And the more I listened, the more I wanted what he had. I thought I was a Christian. But you see, it was all about my performance. I had to perform for God. I read my Bible. I prayed because I wanted God to love me. I didn't realize that he already did. It wasn't what I could do for God, what he had done for me. Isn't that incredible? You see, in this world, it's about performance, isn't it? We have to perform. We have to think. We have to make people like us. We have to dress a certain way or look a certain way. I remember when we wore those horrible uh, shoulder pads because we wanted to look taller, right? The problem was they'd fall. They'd fall down on your elbows. That was not pretty. <laughs> I always wish they'd fall forward. <laughs> that would have been nice, right? It, it's about the look. We want to look a certain way. We want to be approved. We want to be accepted. I used to tell somebody, don't come to my house unless you let me know because i got to have time to throw those dishes in my stove or my dishwasher or wherever to get them out of the way. Make you think I'm a perfect housekeeper. <laughs> like a little kid, they throw all their stuff under the bed. <laughs> right? It's the performance. You know, when you're a kid, you take your kid out to the store, and then they start whining and complaining, and, and uh, you just want to take them somewhere and let them know mama's in control. <laughs> but I know in the United States, they would call what they call social services, and you'd be taken off to the jail. <laughs> you know, it's about performance, but not with God. That night I realized I couldn't perform for God to approve me. He chose to love me. And that was what overwhelmed me. His love for me, even though I was a sinner. And I started crying. It just hit me. And this boy I was with looked at me and said, Why are you crying? And I said, Because I realized Jesus loved me. And he was very shocked because he thought I knew that already. He said, have you ever really asked Jesus into your heart? I said, I don't know. He said, let's make sure right now. And we prayed. And I'll tell you what, then I experienced that peace that passes all understanding. I knew that I knew that I knew that God loved me. And I have known that ever since. His love for me, not my performance, what he has done for me. 
So, we have these weapons and that truth. By the way, I married that boy. (laughs) (laughs) That gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you're able to quench all the fiery darts. Let me tell you where the fiery darts hit. Right here. The battle is in the mind. The fiery darts. You see, the enemy studies you, and he knows where those weak spots are. This morning, we sang a song about our minds, you know, or our, um, our soul. Remember we sang that? My soul waits for the Lord. I don't know. Maybe that was it. Maybe not. But I was thinking about the soul. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's where the enemy can trip us up, isn't it? Your emotions. He knows where to send that flaming dart right in your emotions and vroom. Have you ever said to somebody, you push my buttons. You know how to get to me. Well, Satan knows how to get to you. But listen, it says right here that he, taking the shield of faith, you'll be able to quench All those fiery darts, all those thoughts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always. There it is, coupled together. God's word, prayer. Praying always, excuse me, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians And look at chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, and that literally means strategy. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, that a stronghold is an area we don't want to let go of. The enemy knows where your stronghold is, where he can get at you, where he can send those flaming darts. It says, casting down arguments, speculations, those fiery darts, those thoughts, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every, how many is every? All, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, I can have all these thoughts. I need to take that thought, grab it, and put it under the microscope of God's word. Where does this thought come from? Is that thought from Satan? Is that thought from my flesh? Is that thought from this world? Or is that a thought from God? What does God's word say about this thought? Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ as those thoughts enter my mind. In Genesis, it says that every thought and every intent of man's heart is evil continually. It's like we have a little cesspool there. Those thoughts can come up. Have you ever thought, where did that come from? Why did I think that? That's why we need to grab that thought, take it into captivity, put it under the microscope of God's word. Take it captive. Take it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So the enemy kept coming at Nehemiah and the people. They're in a battle. They came at him with discouragement. They came at him with fear. 
They came at them in every way, but Nehemiah set the guard against these enemies that continued to oppose. And by the power of God, it says in chapter 6 that the wall was completed. Now, chapter 8, and we're going to finish with that. Chapter 8, finally the wall was completed, the people had rest, and then they said, let's get out God's word and read it to the people. Because here's the thing, ladies, these people had not heard God's word in a long time, and they had not celebrated the Feast of Booths since the time of Joshua. This is so long after Joshua. And so the priest Ezra gets the word of God, and he brings it out, and he starts reading. And the people aren't sitting in chairs like you. They're standing up, and they're listening to the word of God being read over and over, three hours at a time, that God's word would be read to them. And you know what started happening? They started weeping. As they heard the word of God, they saw their sin. You see, it says in Hebrews that the word of God is a two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and even the intentions of the heart. And as God's word was read to them, his word convicted them. His word showed them their sin. It showed them how far they had gone from God and how they had broken God's law. You see, God gave his law knowing we couldn't keep it. He knew it. But his law, it says, converts the soul. It shows us our need for God. I can't make it apart from him. And as it shows me my need for God, then I turn to God. It converts my soul. So I accept him and trust him and look to him. So the people became overwhelmed by their sin. They started weeping. They became sorrowful in every way. And look at chapter 8, verse 9. Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our God. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. God is so good that he shows us our sin. He's so good that he lets us get caught. Have you ever gotten caught? And thank God for it. Our, our nature is so prone to wander away from God. But God does not only bring me to himself when I'm first saved. He continues that work in me. That work of bringing me to the end of myself. That work of conforming me to the image of Jesus. And I'm so thankful. You know what, people? You should rejoice. You should rejoice that God has shown this about yourself. That God has brought you to this place of repentance. To recognize I am weak. I am nothing. I need him. I need him. Oh, people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy in knowing that he's in control. The joy in knowing that he loves me. The joy in knowing that he forgives me. The joy in knowing that he can cleanse me. 
the joy in knowing that he's with me. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. You see, when you trust in God, you can have his joy. His joy in the midst of whatever we face. In the midst of discouragement and fear and attacks. In the midst of life being difficult. I have him. Let his joy be your strength. Let his joy fill you to overflowing in the circumstances of life. That he's with you. That he'll never forsake you. You see, before we experience joy, we must experience brokenness. To be broken before him. This is what happened with the people. They were broken before God. And it's almost as that alabaster box that Mary took and she broke it and she anointed Jesus' feet. He wants to break that alabaster box of joy, the oil of joy for mourning. That's an awesome promise from him. Do not be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you, how we praise you that although we're in this battle, we have your strength. We have your weapons. We have you. I just pray for each one of my sisters right now, Father. You know all about them. You know what they need. And, oh, God, I pray today we would put our eyes on you and trust you and rest in you. We thank you. We praise you. We magnify you. In Jesus' name, amen.